Hey, it's Mike, and this podcast is brought to you by Legion, my line of naturally sweetened and flavored workout supplements. Now, as you probably know, I'm really not a fan of the supplement industry. I've wasted thousands and thousands of dollars over the years on worthless supplements that basically do nothing. And I've always had trouble finding products actually worth buying. And especially as I've gotten more and more educated as to what actually works and what doesn't. And eventually after complaining a lot, I decided to do something about it and start making my own supplements. The exact supplements I myself have always wanted. A few of the things that make my products unique are one, they're 100% naturally sweetened and flavored, which I think is good because while artificial sweeteners may not be as harmful as some people claim. There is research that suggests regular consumption of these chemicals may not be good for our health, particularly our gut health. So I like to just play it safe and sweeten everything with stevia and erythritol, which are natural sweeteners that actually have health benefits, not health risks. Two, all ingredients are backed by peer-reviewed scientific research that you can verify for yourself. If you go on our website and you check out any of our product pages, you're going to see that we explain why we've chosen each ingredient and we cite all supporting evidence in the footnotes so you can go look at the research for yourself and verify that we're doing the right thing. Three, all ingredients are also included at clinically effective dosages, which are the exact dosages used in those studies that prove their effectiveness. This is very important because while a molecule might be proven to, let's say, improve your workout performance, not all dosages are going to improve your workout performance. If you take too little you're not going to see any effects. You have to take the right amounts. And the right amounts are the amounts proven to be effective in scientific research. And four, there are no proprietary blends, which means you know exactly what you're buying when you buy our supplements. All of our formulations are 100% transparent in terms of ingredients and dosages. So if that sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, then go to www.legionathletics.com. That's L-E-G-I-O-N athletics.com. And if you like what you see and you want to buy something, use the coupon code code podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and you will save 10% on your order. Also, if you like what I have to say in my podcast, then I guarantee you'll like my books. I make my living primarily as a writer, so as long as I can keep selling books, then I can keep writing articles over at Muscle for Life and Legion and recording podcasts and videos like this and all that fun stuff. Now, I have several books, but the place to start is Bigger, Leaner, Stronger if you're a guy and Thinner, Leaner, Stronger if you're a girl. Now, these books, they're basically going to teach you everything you need to know about dieting, training, and supplementation to build muscle, lose fat, and look and feel great without having to give up all the foods you love or live in the gym grinding away at workouts you hate. And you can find my books everywhere. You can buy books online like Amazon, Audible, iBooks, Google Play, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and so forth. And if you're into audiobooks like me, you can actually get one of my audiobooks for free with a 30-day free trial of Audible. To do that, go to www.muscleforlife.com forward slash audiobooks. That's musclefor.life.com forward slash audiobooks, and you'll see how to do this. So thanks again for taking the time to listen to my podcast. I hope you enjoy it, and let's get to the show. Hey, this is Mike Matthews. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. In this podcast, I want to talk about not losing weight, why people stop losing weight, because it's something I get asked uh, fairly often, and I've commented on things here and there, but I thought it'd make, uh, make for a good episode. I wrote an article about it, uh, I don't remember, a couple months ago, and that article uh, has been popular, uh, you know, but I, I, people keep asking um, because they don't find it or whatever. So I thought it'd make for a good podcast uh, episode. Now let's talk a little bit about the problem. The the most common you know situation that I hear is where somebody has been following some sort of diet that usually revolves around clean eating, quote unquote. So you know they're restricting certain foods, they're not eating any sugar, they're not eating certain types of carbs, they're not eating carbs after a certain time of the day, blah blah blah. And uh, maybe they lost some weight in the beginning. Uh, of starting the diet, maybe they're doing some exercise as well, but then in time, uh, the weight loss has slowed down, slowed down, slowed down, and then it's just plateau, and you know, they've been stuck for however many weeks um, with no real change in terms of body composition, uh, or some some people, they're not really thinking with body competition or composition, they're really just thinking with weight, so they haven't seen their scale go down, and they just don't really know what's going on. Um, and then you go, you know, they, they go and they start searching around online, 
and they just find all kinds of strange advice. You know, some people will say, oh, it's a hormone thing. You're not losing weight because uh, your hormones are now out of whack for one of many different reasons. And in terms of solutions, it could be, oh, you know, you need to try this different diet or you need these supplements or you need to try this different workout program or blah, blah, blah. Another common, you know, uh, culprit that is, that is, is blamed is uh, metabolism. So some people will, will, some experts, quote unquote, or whatever will say, oh, well, you stopped losing weight because your metabolism is, is ruined or damaged or has adapted. And uh, the solution can be anything from uh, the standard eat less, move more, to other weird shit like, you know, oh, it's your hormones are screwing with your metabolism, it's your thyroid, um, it's the foods you're eating, it's the type of exercise you're doing, et cetera, et cetera. Another common uh, thing that's blamed for, for not losing weight is uh, artificial type of ingredients, artificial sweeteners, uh, just different types of chemicals and things that could be found in food or that we just get exposed to in, in daily environment, which they usually tie back into hormones, saying those things are disrupting your hormones. Um, and the good news is all of that's not true. All of that is bullshit, basically. Um, as you'll see, uh, if you're familiar, I mean, if you're familiar with my work and just familiar with uh, just the basic physiology of weight loss, you know that the underlying problem, if you're not losing fat, uh, the underlying problem is you're not in a large enough uh, calorie or caloric deficit over time to uh, see any fat loss, or you know whether it's in the mirror or on the scale. You know that that's the bottom line problem, but just eating less and moving more isn't necessarily the solution. It's not, there, there's, uh, there are a lot of different uh, factors that are involved that can cause your calorie deficit to become too small or just, you know, disappear altogether. And, and there are some uh, common mistakes that people make that, that lead to that. And then there are just some issues that you need to be aware of when you are dieting that kind of conspire against you in that way. And uh, it really, it's kind of built into your body. Your body, I mean, just, just realize that dieting, proper dieting is a mild form of starvation. That is what you're doing. You're starving your body. Uh, now, th that sounds extreme, but, um, you know, it's not. It's a mild form of starvation. Extreme starvation, you know, would be like eating, you know, I don't know, half of your TDE and just doing a ton of exercise and stuff, you know, that, that obviously would be bad. But any, any sort of dieting, any sort of, you know, restriction of, of energy intake is a mild form of starvation, and your body fights against it. Your body, I mean, if you were to, uh, your body's very reactive in that way. So, like, if you were to, uh, you know, forcefully starve your body, if you were to keep it in a calorie deficit for long enough, you would eventually die. You can't, even if it's a mild deficit, if you kept on reducing intake, increasing output, reducing intake over time, eventually you would die. So your body, of course, doesn't know your intentions, doesn't know that you know what you're doing. You're not trying to kill it. You're just trying to, you know, get a six pack or whatever. Um, it has different mechanisms uh, that built in that it employs to uh, erase your calorie deficit, basically. So it's kind of you versus your body in that way, although, of course, you, you don't have to look at it in, that in, in those contentious type of terms. You can work with your body, uh, and you can you know, lose fat without causing any harm to your body, but you're still working against your body. You're doing something that your body doesn't actually want to do, but you can make it do it, and you can do it in a way it doesn't cause harm. Um, so we'll talk about a bit of the, you know, talk about those things in, in, in the context of not losing weight. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's a good overview of what we're going to, what we're going to cover. So let's just get into it. So first let's just talk about, uh, I'm going to kind of run down things in terms of not necessarily, uh, seniority, but just what I kind of see that's most common. Um, so the first thing is that people are losing fat, but they're not losing weight. And we're very programmed to just think with weight. When people say they want to get leaner, what they say is they, I mean, what they really are saying is they want to lose fat and not muscle. But the words they say is they want to lose weight. If, uh, if someone wants to gain muscle, they say they want to gain weight. Um, but uh, a better way to think of it is in terms of body composition, which is, if you, I mean, we can just keep it simple. If we look at your body composition in terms of uh, what's your body comprised of, right? So you have fat and you have everything else that's not fat, including bones and muscle and organs and water and all that. So in terms of body composition, when you're wanting to quote unquote lose weight, what you're wanting to do is get rid of fat and not get rid of anything else that's not fat, basically. You don't want to be 
losing muscle. Um, of course, well, you will lose some water and glycogen. So I guess that's not totally true. You are going to lose a little bit of others. You know, there is, there is, there is uh, a little bit of the fat free mass that you're going to be losing, but you don't want to be losing organ tissue. You don't want to be losing bone. You don't want to be losing muscle. You want to lose fat and your water and glycogen levels are going to fluctuate. And which is what we're going to talk about here, which is, this is the, 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 um, the number one most commonly misunderstood thing that people see, especially when somebody goes from, let's say someone starts overweight and then they start dieting for the, for, for the first time properly, they're restricting their calories, high protein, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then they start lifting weights and then they don't really understand how, let's say three months can go by or two months can go by and they look leaner in the mirror and their pants are fitting looser, but their weight hasn't really changed. And so on one hand, they're happy. Like they, they look in the mirror and they go, Hmm, I mean, Clearly, something is working, but on the other hand, it's it kind of goes up against that that just inherent. Well, why is my weight changing though? Like the whole point of dieting is that your weight's supposed to go down. So you have uh, that is obviously a situation where when you are new to weightlifting, you can build muscle and lose fat at the same time. Um, really, anybody can do it. The, the degree to which you can do it is going to depend on your body, kind of your genet- your genetics, your compliance to your diet, your compliance in your workouts. Um, but I would say, I mean, it's, it, there aren't, there aren't, there, I don't have like, this is more anecdotal. This is just based on working with a lot of people. I would say that anyone probably in their first six to eight months, if they're in that first six to eight months of weightlifting, they can reliably build muscle and lose fat. Muscle, uh, obviously in terms of volume. So if you took the same volume of muscle and fat, muscle weighs more because it's more condensed. So if you're replacing, you know, in the space that was once, let's say had that much fat, if you replaced it with that much muscle, uh, you're actually going to weigh a little bit more. Um, and so this is, this is called body recomposition, right? Cause you're changing the composition of your body. Uh, for, for the better. And it's a good sign. Uh, that's where one of those things where I, I tell people, if you are looking leaner in the mirror and, uh, you know, there are some different like reliable, uh, ways to, to, to keep an eye on your, on your body fat percentage and your body composition. Uh, the mirror is good, uh, taking pictures every week or so front side back and good lighting, um, not flexing. That's, that's, uh, that's good. Keeping, uh, your take, taking a caliper measurement. I, I like a caliper made by AccuMeasure. It's cheap. Um, it's a one measurement, uh, on the super iliac, which, uh, if you search muscle for life for, for body fat, you'll see an article I wrote on, and there's a video there, or if you search on YouTube here, uh, in my channel, you'll find a video on, on how to take a correct measurement. Um, extrapolating it to body fat percentage, there's going to be a level of inaccuracy really with any method that you use. So you don't even have to necessarily do that. You could know within one or 2%. So like I calipered about 7%, but I'm, I'm not 7%. I'm probably 8%. Highest would be 9%. My guess is I'm in the low 8% range, but again, it doesn't matter how I get tested, whether it's uh, bioimpedance or whether I even go get DEXA scanned, hydrostatic, they all have margins of error. So there's really no way to know with a hundred percent accuracy what your body fat percentage is besides like cutting all the fat off your body and weighing it. <laughs> Basically, that's the only way to really know. So more importantly though, is that you see that caliper measurement going down in millimeters. So if you started at 10 millimeter at, at 10 millimeters, let's say 15 millimeters, uh, in the super iliac, and then you're now, say you started at 15 and now you're 10, you have lost fat period. I don't care what happened on the scale. I don't care if you gain 10 pounds on the scale, you have lost fat. So that's reliable. Uh, and measuring your, your waist at your navel, that's also reliable. Again, if your waist is shrinking, you're gaining, you're losing fat. If it's growing, you're gaining fat. Uh, and you know, in terms of how frequently to take these measurements, I recommend once a week under the same conditions, uh, and weighing yourself. I mean, obviously keeping an eye on the scale is a good idea. I recommend weighing yourself every day in the morning after you've gone to the bathroom naked and take a, take an average every seven to 10 days. Don't, don't, don't pay too much attention about that number day to day because it's going to fluctuate based on water, uh, and going to the bathroom and how much food you ate and all that stuff. Um, so if you take an average every seven to 10 days, that's that. And then watch that average. That's a much more reliable way to see what's going on with your body. Um, so there's also, I've talked a little about this already, water retention issues that can affect, uh, where you are, you can be losing fat, but not losing weight. Um, one thing you need to, is that when you're in a calorie deficit, it puts some, puts some stress on your body. Cortisol levels are going to be generally higher. If you don't sleep enough, that's going to make it worse. Training, uh, depending on how your body responds to training, um, even depending on your hormones, if you are a lower testosterone person, then you are more prone to have issues with cortisol. Uh, but as cortisol levels go up, 
water retention goes up. You just hold more water. You'll see it subcutaneous under your skin. You'll look kind of puffy. Um, and that's just uh, part, of the, part of the game. And what you can do about that, though, is there are some different simple strategies. I mean, cortisol is a stress hormone, right? So also, if you have high stress levels just generally in your life, it's not going to help. Um, so doing things that, that, that help you relax uh, are, are, are going to help with this, making sure you get enough sleep. Um, I, I wrote an article on this. Uh, if you search muscle life for relax, you'll see like some, some just different, you know, simple, um, scientifically proven methods to, to help your body relax, your mind and your body. Um, you know, it could be as simple as like having a night routine of that, ha- you know, involves uh, bathing, um, reading, um, uh, obviously meditating is a thing that some people are into. I've tried, it's not really my thing. Um, I don't remember in the article. If you search the, if you search the article, there, there are uh, some, some good simple strategies there. But um, the, the main things are getting enough sleep, making sure that your calorie deficit, calorie deficit is not too large. As you know, uh, I recommend a calorie deficit of about 20 to 25%. So you're eating, you know, uh, if, if you're going to be aggressive, you're eating 75% of the energy that you're burning. Um, but you start going too large of a deficit, and it puts the body under more and more stress. Uh, another common thing that uh, people, another common mistake that people make that really screws with water retention is eating too much sodium and too little potassium. This is uh, probably that this and vitamin D and vitamin K deficiencies, like sodium potassium imbalance, vitamin D and vitamin K deficiencies, are probably the most common micronutrient issues that, that, that are out there with, with people's diets, at least here in Western diets. Uh, Western diets are uh, very generally very high in sodium, very low in potassium, which is just not particularly healthy, um, but it also can mess with your, with your water retention. And generally speaking, most people's potassium levels are low. So potassium pumps water out of cells and, and sodium uh, you know, pumps it in. Um, so generally people's Diets are very low in potassium, and sodium levels can be all over the place. So sodium one day could be 5 grams. Sodium the next day could be 2 grams, then 3, and then. So those fluctuations can dramatically affect water retention. Again, this kind of depends on your body. Um, I just don't tend to hold much water, and that's just my body. Maybe um, it, it could be hormonal. Uh, you know, I haven't, I've, I've really actually I've never even gotten a blood test. I keep on saying one of these days I'll do it, and then I just don't really think of it because I don't really have a reason to. But out of pure curiosity, I, I, would, be, uh, I would guess that I'm probably a higher testosterone type of just person, um, given how my body responds to weightlifting and even my personality and stuff. Uh, and I know my brother, he tested, he tested really high his, and he, and he's not on drugs. Definitely not. He's actually a skinny little dude. Um, I, I think his test was at like 11 or 1200. Uh, that wasn't his free test, but that was his test. I don't know what his free was. Um, I think it was pretty high too. Anyways, that's very high for natural testosterone. And he's like, not even when he, when he tested, he got into weightlifting for a little bit and started taking care of himself, but then just kind of fell off the wagon. So at the time he got tested, he like, wasn't even lifting, wasn't exercising. I think he was even smoking. Um, he just wasn't a healthy person at all. So, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's one of the reasons why I just don't really see much change in my water retention. But even that said, I do, I definitely will see a change. If I go out to a restaurant and eat a bunch of food, which if you're eating out in a restaurant, just know that shit is salted to the hilt. And that's because salt makes it like, uh, if you want to be, be better at, uh, cooking, make sure you salt your food enough. There's like a simple little tip. And in, in terms of like, how much the general kind of rule is you want to salt your food as much as you can, much as you can take basically, because salt brings out flavors. Um, so, um, so when you're in a restaurant, especially when you have uh, very fatty, uh, savory types of food, there's a lot of salt in there. And a teaspoon of salt has about, uh, 2,300 milligrams of sodium. I think it is. That's a lot of sodium. Uh, so think about it. That's just a teaspoon of salt. And, and, you know, depending on what you're eating, if you're eating a lot of food, you can easily eat probably, I don't know, two to four teaspoons. So that's in one meal. If you go out and you have an appetizer, entree, and dessert, easy. Depending on what the foods are, that could be five, six grams of sodium. And then you wake up the next day super bloated. And depending on, you know, how your body responds to, to, uh, to, this, the fluctuations in sodium intake and, and how much water you're drinking and stuff like that. It depends, you know, it may last for one day, it may last for two days, but if, uh, you are not paying attention to your sodium intake on a day-to-day basis, again, there's uh, basically like 
rapid fluctuations can cause water retention, both up and down. So what you can have is you can have a situation, I see this a lot when I ask people to actually track their sodium intake for a week, and it'll be like 2,000, 4,000, 6,000, 2,000, 4,000, 1,500. So basically their sodium level is always fluctuating enough to basically where they're always just holding more water. And uh, so the solution for that is simple. Keep your sodium intake um, around I mean, a good safe range for it, for just the average person would be probably around three to four grams of sodium. Um, and again, there's like, I, I read some stuff just recently. There's, there's some new research showing that uh, unless you have a genetic little uh, quirk, you can actually, people can go quite a bit higher than that. And without having hypertension issues and whatever, I, again, it's not, it's something I haven't really dived into as I was reading, I think it was like, I was reading a, a paper on something else and it was a link to that. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. So I was, I was kind of looking into it. But I didn't like spend a bunch of time diving into it. So I just kind of go with the Institute of Medicine, their standard, their recommendation is like the standard thing is I think it's about two and a half grams of sodium a day, but then you can go up to three or four grams without any issues. But the key there is that your potassium should be up around four or five grams a day. And that's, that's actually trickier to do. You, you, you need to think with that when you're doing your meal planning. If you want to get it all from food, um, that means that you need to be looking for potassium-rich uh, fruits and vegetables, really. You can also supplement. Like my favorite potassium-rich fruit is obviously banana. Um, I eat a couple bananas a day. I get about uh, probably about two grams of potassium from, from bananas. And then uh, I get probably about another 500 milligrams from the other vegetables that I eat. Um, and then I supplement with about a gram. So, uh, and, and when you buy potassium supp supplements, just know that it's 99 milligrams per pill. That's the standardized, regardless of the form, potassium citrate, gluconate, whatever. Um, you're not going to get, it, it might say like, oh, 500 milligrams in a pill. But then if you look, it'll say providing 99 milligrams potassium because, and that, that's intentional, um, because if you take too much potassium, if you were just to accidentally, let's say you thought it was 100 milligrams of potassium per pill and it's 500 and you were to take a bunch of pills, uh, you can, your heart can stop. <laughs> you can die. So that's why it's, uh, it's restricted to 100 milligrams of pill to prevent overdosing. Um, so, yes, that means I have to take 10 pills of potassium a day and that's what I do. Um, and, you know, if I, if I didn't want to take the supplement, of course I could figure it out with changing up my diet even a little bit more and adding more potassium, but I'd rather just take the, the pills. It's not a big deal. Um, so if you get your sodium potassium levels balanced, uh, you'll find that the water retention issues will just, uh, you just won't, you won't be holding as much water and you won't see those fluctuations on a day to day where, I mean, cause you know, you, you've experienced this before, you know, you can go out and go out to a restaurant and let's say you're good. You don't eat a ton of calories and you even save some calories. So let's say you go in there with 2000 calories to spend quote unquote on the meal and you're good and you maybe you eat a little bit more, but it's nothing ridiculous. And then you wake up the next day looking like two pounds fatter and you're like, what the fuck? That's water. It's just, you know, you ate a ton of, there was a ton of salt in that meal, basically. Um, so just, that's fine if you know it's going to happen. Like, I know that if I go out to a restaurant, I, I kind of expect to just look kind of fatter for the next day or two, and then it gets back to normal. Uh, even if my calories are not, you know, I don't explode my calories. So let's move on to the next, uh, probably the most, one of the most common reasons why I, the people I speak with, why they are having issues, why their weight loss plateaus, not losing weight anymore. And that's... Um, they eat too many, too many calories in, in, in short periods of time. Like they'll be good on their diet and they'll maintain their calorie deficit for let's say five days of the week and the weekends come and then it's like all out, oh, cheat days and shit. And they eat back all the, all, all that deficit that they accumulated and all that fat they burned through the week, they gain it all back on the weekend. And I know I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to go on and on about it, but if you just look at it in terms of, uh, let's look at your, 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 your calories and your energy expenditure on a weekly basis as opposed to just a daily basis. So let's say by the end of a week, uh, let's, on my average daily energy expenditure, let's just say mine is around 3,000 calories, give or take. So, you know, I have 21,000 calories that I burn in a week. I probably don't burn that many because I'm less active on the weekends. I'm usually intentionally less active, give my body a little bit of a break. Um, and But let's just say, let's just say it was 21,000 calories. So, uh, that's how much energy I'm going to burn. If I want to lose weight, then I'm going to be eating 75% of that. So, you know, whatever that is, 16,000, 15 something, 15, 16,000 calories, uh, you know, that's what I'm going to be eating. So if I did that, then that deficit there of, you know, the six, let's say it's a six or 5,000 calorie deficit um, should be good for about a pound, maybe a pound and a half of fat loss. Um, now, 
if I go Monday through Friday and I have that deficit, have that deficit, and then uh, you know I go ham on the weekends and my calorie intake skyrockets back up to by the end of Sunday, if I ate, let's just say I pushed it right to twenty one thousand calories. Not that I would even like that you know what you're doing, but I'm you know just I'm just kind of simplifying it here. Um, then I haven't I've ruined that deficit. That means that for the whole week I ate the energy uh, that I that I burned. So of course I didn't lose any fat. And what what you'll see though, and how that'll go is. You'll go through the week, and you'll get a little bit leaner. You look a little bit better. Uh, things are good. And then the weekend comes, and you eat all this food. And then you usually see the after effects come Monday or Tuesday. Uh, you're, you, know, you just don't look any different. Your, your measurements aren't any different. So you can have this improvement, 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 and then you slide back, and then you just kind of look the same. Um, that's very, very common. And you, you just have to be smarter with, with your, with your quote-unquote, with your cheating, right? And uh, that's why, like, I think a cheat meal is fine. That's why I, I actually re- recommend just restricting it to, a, to one cheat meal a week when you're, when you're cutting is um, just because, I mean, especially in, in my books, like Bigger, Leaner, Stronger, Thinner, Leaner, Stronger, they're written more for people that are new to weightlifting, new to, new to dieting. And I don't want to, I don't want to, I try not to overwhelm them with too many different things. Try to keep them, just give some, some simple rules of thumb, some simple guidelines to follow. And the reason why I say one cheat meal a week is because you really, you're just, you're not going to do that much damage in one meal. I mean, maybe you're going to end the day in like a few hundred calorie surplus. And it's not that every calorie that you eat, even it depends on where those calories are coming from. You know, uh, a 300, 500 calorie surplus of carbs is uh, just going to result in less fat storage than let's say a 300 to 500 calorie surplus of dietary fat. Um, But if you want to look at it a bit more um, technically, in terms of a quote-unquote cheat meal, as you know, it doesn't really matter. The foods that you're eating are not the point. It's just the amount. And the, the problem with the foods that we quote-unquote like to cheat with are usually is that, is that they're usually very high-calorie. They're, they're fatty foods. Like probably people, the most, you know, what are, they, what, are your, what, are the, what are the most favorite cheat meals? Pizza, ice cream. I mean, those are probably actually the top two, pizza and ice cream, right? Very, very fatty foods. Delicious, but very, very fatty, which means very, very calorie-dense. And also, as you probably know, I've talked about this many times, is that dietary fat is converted, is, is stored as body fat very efficiently. That's one of, its, that's one of the primary purposes of the, the, that's one of the primary things that the body does with dietary fat is store it as body fat. Whereas carbs are very rarely converted directly into body fat, which is by a process called de novo lipogenesis. Uh, you know, you have to eat a lot of carbs, you, basically, because your body, for the first thing it does with carbs is it burns it for energy, and then it stores uh, it stores. Well, you have glucose, you know, that gets burned as energy, and then the glucose can be converted into something called glycogen, which gets stored primarily in the muscles and liver. Once glycogen stores are full, then de novo, de novo lipogenesis can occur, which is the process whereby then excess glucose beyond those needs would be converted into body fat. Now, the thing is, as someone that, um, if you're weightlifting, your muscles can store more glycogen than a normal person's. The more muscle you have, the more glycogen your body can store. So somebody, you know, my size, I'm 190 pounds, uh, I'm 6'2", have a good amount of muscle. I probably, it's hard to say with like, oh, this is the exact amount of glycogen, but a a good guess is probably six to 800 grams of glycogen. Uh, stored in my body at any time. So if I deplete that, right, which you do with working out, you do with, um, you know, if, you, if I were to do some low-carb type dieting, let's say I wanted to get rid of some water out of my body for a photo shoot or something, you know, you're, 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 you can deplete glycogen stores by quite a bit, and then the body has to replenish them. So that's why I recommend that with cheat meals, go high-carb over high-fat because carbs – what the only quote-unquote problem in terms of fat storage and how it relates back to energy balance is uh, carbs, mainly due to the insulin stimulation, it just suppresses fat oxidation. So when your body, when you eat carbs, your body starts burning carbs for energy instead of its body fat. And that's, that's just how the body works. You have every day, you eat food, insulin levels rise, your body burns the food for energy, it's not burning its own fat, it's storing the dietary fat and not burning its own fat. Eventually that process is done, it, it processes, it, it, it burns through all the energy that you ate, it processes all the, ener- all, the, all the nutrients that you ate, then it has to go back to its body fat for energy, and it has to do that until you feed it again, and it just you have that cycle, and at the end of the day, uh, fat loss or fat gain is really just the difference between the amount of fat that you burned for, you know, when, when your body didn't have food, when it had to go through its own fat stores versus the amount of energy uh, that it's, or the amount of fat that it's stored after you ate. So you have on this hand, 
you ate all this food, it, it, it stored all this fat. On this hand, you did whatever you did in terms of activity, you made it burn energy, and it had to burn through, you know, if it had to burn through more fat than it stored, you lost fat. If it had to burn, if it got to burn less fat than, than you ate, than it stored, uh, then, you, then you gain fat. Um, so uh, with carbohydrates, they, they blunt when you eat carbs, your body stops burning fat. So that's, that's how it relates to, to your total fat mass. It's not that when you eat carbs, it gets directly t- turned into fat. That, that rarely happens. And protein, that very rarely happens as well. Um, so bringing this all back is when, you, when you're going to, when you're going to cheat, I recommend what I personally like to do is I just like to save up my calories for the day. Like if I'm going to go out to a restaurant and I don't really, I want to, I know that I'm going to want to eat a lot of food, then I'll just eat protein throughout the day. That's it. I'll have my post like my post workout meal will really just be protein. I'll I'll come into that meal with maybe you know having eaten eighty uh, percent of my day's protein, seventy five percent of my day's protein, as little fat as I could get away with because I want to eat it in the food that I'm going to eat, and it's and it basically is, is little carbs too. Uh, maybe I'll have you know I have some vegetables at lunch and stuff, so maybe I'll have eaten fifty carbs by the by the meal comes. So then that gives me a big buffer. Now I get to eat you know. A, uh, a couple thousand calories and and not gain any fat and in terms of by the end of the day see my that's a, that, just bring it back to that to the to the kind of scale example there so I haven't fed my body very much food throughout the day so it's had to rely on its body fat for for basically the entire day so technically speaking if we were to like you know say I, I it have it has burned through let's say I don't know, 50 grams of fat, let's just say, or maybe that's high, maybe that's low, whatever. The point is it's burned through a good amount of fat. Then here comes this big meal. And this big meal then uh, is going to result in, yes, the storage of a fair amount of fat, but it's going to, if I, if I have my energy balance, uh, if I have my energy intake and, and, and output balanced, if by the end of the day, if I burn 3000 calories and then, you know, I ate, uh, 2,000 uh, calories at dinner and then 1,000 calories, even more. If I ate 2,500 of my daily calories at dinner and 500 throughout the day previously, that doesn't matter. In the end, I'm in balance. And again, what that means is the amount of energy, the amount of uh, you know, energy that my body has pulled from body fat is then replaced with the fat that you know, is stored from the meal. Um, so that's a good way to, to just kind of minimize the damage of cheat meals. And you don't have to do it that way again, but that's more if you want to like... I, I can eat so much food. I, it takes like, I'll eat, I mean, like 1,500 calories of food for me is like, yeah, whatever. Like, I barely even feel full. Like, it, it's so weird. I don't get hungry, and it takes a shitload of food to make me feel actually full. Like, I don't have to eat more than 1,500 calories in a meal. I mean, I can eat a small meal or a big meal. But for me to, like, eat to that point where I'm like, damn, that was a lot of food and feel, like, really satisfied, I have to eat so much food. Um, so that's just the way I like to do it. So let's move on to the next problem that, uh, really a mistake that people make is trying to eat on feel by too much trying to eyeball macros or instead of just making a meal plan that's very precise, you know, weighed in terms of like, okay, it's going to be a uh, hundred grams of this, 50 grams of that, um, so many ounces of this liquid, blah, blah, blah. Uh, instead of doing it that way where people go, well, you know, uh, that's about this, this many calories. That's about that many calories. Um, if you're trying to do that and, and you're not losing weight, then that, that, that could very well be the problem just because people are generally very bad at estimating the calories that they eat, the amount of calories they eat. I don't know if it's like a psychological bias where we just want to tell ourselves that we ate less than we did or what, but, um, when, when I hear that somebody is doing that and not losing weight, my first thing I tell them is trust me, just make a meal plan very precise. Every single thing that goes in your mouth is on that meal plan and, uh, is everything is, 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 is quantified exactly. Not, you know, uh, a fist of this or, you know, two fists of that or whatever, very precise, like measured, uh, and then do that for the next 10 to 14 days. And let's see what happens. And in a lot of cases, that's it. Like they just didn't realize that, um, they were, they were eating more than they, than they thought they were, which kind of brings me to the next issue where, there are uh, good and bad ways to, to count calories, basically. So the bad way is, let's say you make a meal plan and you say, okay, a cup of oatmeal. And then you go to do your cup of oatmeal and you scoop it and you're a little bit generous. And so it's like a heaping, you know, a heaping cup of oatmeal. 
and you go, you know, whatever. It's a little whatever. It's not a big deal. But what you didn't know is, so then you, let's say you look on the back of the, of the package and the label, it says a cup of oatmeal um, is, you know, X number of calories. And you put that into your MyFitnessPal and then move on. And then you do that with, let's say, you have some peanut butter and it's one tablespoon or two tablespoons of peanut butter and the tablespoons are a bit bigger. Um, and you put those calories in, though. And what you don't realize, though, is the, on the label there, when it says a cup of oatmeal, you know, it, it's, that depends. Like if you have a heaping cup, that's different than, than a cup. Or if it's a cup of sugar, let's say when you're baking, a cup of sugar that, excuse me, that is packed into there is as much as, you know, where it's like a, 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 a hockey puck of sugar. That's different. That's a different amount of sugar than, you know, a loose kind of even a little bit less full cup. And uh, so it's, it's, it's much better when you are creating your meal plans instead of just going by uh, cups are fine. Uh, I like, you know, I use fluid ounces, but if I'm, if I'm talking about anything other than that, I'm going by grams. That's much more precise. So you, if you're going to eat, um, you know, let's say 80 grams of, of oatmeal, that's, that's when you, when you look on a supplement uh, or the nutrition facts panel on oatmeal and it says one cup, that's what they're, that's what they're referring to actually is about 80 grams of oatmeal. But if you, you know, have that cup packed and a little bit heaping and, you know, you could, you might get up to a hundred grams of oatmeal. You might be increasing your, 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 the calories there by 25% just in that one food. Uh, and then on, on same thing with your peanut butter, your peanut butter might be 25% more peanut butter than you actually think it is. And, and you can imagine you rinse and repeat this and, you know, that's plus 50 calories there, plus 100 calories there, plus 25 calories there. You do that enough. And by the end of the day, you can easily have eaten, you know, an extra three, 400 calories that you don't even realize. And then, you know, you wonder what the hell's going on. You're sticking to your meal plan. You're, you're eating the way you're supposed to eat. So um, that's, that's also very, very common. And obviously, I've already given you a solution is working in absolute weights. Uh, so you kind of remove that element of human error. That's also worth mentioning. I get actually asked this very often. I like to weigh uh, my foods raw if I'm making one meal. So like if I'm going to make, uh, you know, chicken, whatever it is, I weigh everything raw because weights can change based on, you know, what you're cooking it with, how much moisture absorbs or how much moisture it loses or whatever. Um, but if I'm making like a, a one pot type of meal, which is that's really the way that I cook these days is every Sunday I make a big one pot something. And then portion it out and just eat it throughout the week because it's easy and I don't mind eating the same foods every day. Um, is I don't I, I I take all the ingredients and work out all the numbers for the entire thing and then uh, weigh that total amount and then uh, of, of how much food it is cooked and then portion that out. That that I find that better because then you just know. And for simple math, let's say you have. Uh, you know, I don't know, a thousand grams of food and it's X number of calories. And so then you just go, cool, I'm going to eat that. You know, there's, there's my four dinners. I'm going to do 250 grams of food of this stuff, whether it be a chili or, uh, you know, I may, I've been doing a lot of chilies recently, but also you can do some delicious, uh, you know, I wouldn't say they're necessarily desserts, but some rice dishes or even like uh, rice pudding type stuff and whatever. But it's easier if you just work, have the numbers for everything that went in that pot and then, uh, and then weigh the amount of food that it gives you and then portion that out. Uh, another thing worth noting is alcohol. Um, this is more in conjunction with cheating. Alcohol, uh, is, is actually similar to carbohydrate in the way that it doesn't get converted into body fat. Uh, really at all, actually. I mean, it's like it, there's basically no conversion from alcohol into body fat, but it blunts fat oxidation like carbohydrates do. So um, unfortunately when people go out and, you know, if they're, if they're going to cheat, it's usually going to be a high fat meal. Like we already talked about burgers, pizza, ice cream, that kind of stuff, French fries, blah, blah, blah. Plus alcohol equals maximum fat storage basically. Um, and, uh, so that, that's a, it's not that you can't have alcohol, but if you're going to do that, I, I would recommend keeping the day that you're drinking alcohol or that you're going to have alcohol, make that a low fat day. That's, that's really the, that's really the key. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, you eat a lot of, a lot of, a lot of protein, you can have some carbs, but you really want your fats to be as low as possible if you're going to be drinking alcohol. Um, and that will basically minimize the fat storage that it can, uh, that, that that's going to occur as a result. So the next area that of, uh, error here with people that aren't losing weight is they usually think they're burning more energy than they are. Um, the most common mistake actually is just, just poor, just bad calculations. Um, either, you know, I'll, I'll regularly hear from, from girls that they'll say like, oh, my BMR is, you know, 2000 calories. So I'm multiplying that by 1.35 and working my deficit from there. 
and like your BMR is not 2,000 calories. My BMR is 2,100 calories, and I'm a guy, and I'm you know 6'2", and I'm 190 pounds, and I have a lot of muscle. Trust me, your BMR is not. And you know, usually, the vast majority they they go, oh yeah, and they made a mistake. Like their BMR is like 1,400 calories, and they thought it's 2,000, and I thought it's 1,900. Sometimes though, sometimes strangely enough, uh, I've had people argue with me, and I'll, I'll send them up to them like, here's the formula. Your BMR is not. Because, you know, like, I don't know, someone in their CrossFit gym pulled them, did the math for them or some shit like that. And and I'll try to show them, like, here is the BMR formula. Trust me, your BMR, like, you do not have the same BMR as me. You're a 150-pound girl. It's, it's just not possible. Um, and But but most people are receptive to it, and they, they're, you know, they realize, like, oh, well, shit, there's the problem. So uh, that, that that's very simple. Just make sure you're calculating your BMR correctly. In calculating your total daily energy expenditure, this isn't really people's fault. It's just unfortunate that, you know, one of the more common, basically the, the most common uh, methods that are used to do this, like Catch McArdle and, uh, you know, there are a few other, a few other formulas, the activity multipliers are just too high. Like, they're just not applicable to a person with an average type of metabolism. Um, for instance, I, according to the catch, McCardle, I should be multiplying. I exercise about five to six hours a week, which I believe it's like a 1.5 multiplier on the catch, uh, which would mean that my TDE would be over 3,000 calories, and it's just not. And, and I've worked with thousands of people, and I know for a fact this is also just a thing that's kind of known in the bodybuilding world uh many bodybuilders that just kind of know what they're doing they really never go over 1.3 or 1.35 regardless how much how much exercise they're doing and sometimes i mean if they're doing a lot of exercise some of these guys are also running large calorie deficits because they can because they're on enough drugs to make it it just doesn't matter like they cannot lose muscle and their hormones are so blasted out the roof there are, there's nothing and they're taking thyroid hormone they're just doing so much to their body that they might as well just basically starve the shit out of themselves because why not? The only reason to really eat enough food, eat a good amount of food, is is to have enough energy for their workouts. They're not really worried about losing muscle or anything else. But um, it is just a known thing that those activity multipliers that you see are, are just too high. So uh, I, the general rule is take whatever you know, if whatever you where, wherever you fall in the like sedentary one to three hour, four to six hour, blah, 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 or four whatever it is whatever that multiplier is, reduce it by, by one tenth. Uh, so if it's a 1.3 multiplier, make it a 1.2. Um, unless you know you have a very fast metabolism, unless you've been, you know, one of those people that's been lean your entire life, you've always had trouble gaining weight. You've always eat, you know, been eating a lot of food. Then you probably could actually just stick with, uh, the normal multipliers, or you may even need to go higher. Again, I do run into people I, every once in a while, I run into, run into guys, very fast metabolisms. They have to eat a lot of food to gain weight. And, uh, but for the average person, if you take the, that, that, that activity multiplier and just reduce it by one tenth, um, in, in, in terms of decimal points, like re- remove or reduce the, the, the tenth slot, uh, by, by one, then that will be more accurate. Uh, another kind of common mistake in regarding energy expenditure is just assuming that you're burning more exercise, burning more energy uh, while exercising than you are. So I I like to use the activity multiplier method for determining my calories. It's simpler. You don't have to try to adjust things on a day to day basis. At the end of every week, you can get the job done. There's just no, I don't see a real reason to make things more complex than they need to be. Where you're like, let's say you're doing one hour of exercise on one day, you're doing two hours the next day, an hour and a half the next day, thirty minutes the next day. To try to change your intake every day and do it that way is, is just, I think it's unnecessary complication, but some people try to do that. And then they run into the problem of esti- accurately estimating calorie expenditure during exercise. And like Fitbits and all those machines and all those little gadgets and, and uh, you know, on cardio machines, the calorie, calorie output, you can't trust those things. Like they're going to be wrong. Um, you, can, you can just bet on that. So then you're just kind of left to guesstimate how much calories you're burning and uh and then you have to you know you're eating a certain amount and you just don't really know um so instead of that i do recommend just go with a simpler method calculate your bmr um multiply it by an activity multiplier that that is uh based on how much exercise you're doing per, per week and just do that and of course that means that on certain days your deficits can be a little bit larger than other days based on how much exercise you actually did and even other things based on like spontaneous any activities did you walk more that day did you take the stairs uh you know a couple times in, at the office cuz the elevator was broken um you know all these things add up to energy burned so it's never just going to be a, a flat deficit every day but that's fine it doesn't matter that that that's not the point the point is 
uh, as long as you're not starving the shit out of yourself, if your deficit is good by the end of the week, which it will be if you're just using this simplified method, you can lose fat and not really have to do a, you know more math every day and then adjust your meal plans every day based on what you're doing. And I'd say the, the exception to that is if you're doing a lot of exercise. Like, you know, I, I email sometimes with people that do a lot of biking, for instance, on the weekends. Like, they go and bike a bajillion miles and burn a ton of energy. Well, then, yes, it makes sense. We want to increase the their intake at least a bit. Like, I think it's fine if you're in a, let's say you're in a 25% deficit. You say you set your deficit for 25% for the week. Um, and then you have on top of that, though, you have this all this biking, and you and you can go look online and approximate maybe that you're burning 2,000 calories, let's say, per biking session, and you want to eat a thousand of those calories back. Leave yourself a good you know margin there. Don't try to eat right back up to 2,000 because you might not burn 2,000. Depends on your body, and depends on your muscle mass, and depends on you know how conditioned you are, how uh, adapted it is to the exercise. You might only burn 1,500 calories, but so then you though you've calculated 2,000, you eat 2,000 back, and now you've overeaten by 500 calories. So uh, in that case, like I usually kind of play it safe, quote unquote, and just say, eat half of your calories back. If you, and then if you're in a little bit larger deficit, one or two days a week, great. You'll just lose more fat. It's not like it's going to be a problem. And one other thing you should know about energy expenditure is, and I kind of, I, I mentioned this spontaneous activity, right? So you have this non-exercise type of activity level that uh, it varies from person to person. Some people are very high in this regard. They, they fidget around a lot. They're always moving. Like little kids are a good example of this. Like my son Lennox, he's turning three and uh, he's literally always doing something. He's always running around, moving, talking, playing with his toys, uh, jumping around and like, yeah, he's not quote unquote exercising, but he's burning a ton of energy because he's, <laughs> he never is sitting still. He's always doing something. So as we get older, obviously we're, you know, that, that, that we don't, we, we're not so all over the place, but still some people, I mean, they just, uh, they, they burn more energy that through just non-exercise activity than others. Some people are just more sedentary in general. Some people, they walk fast. They, they take the stairs instead of taking the one-floor elevator. They fidget around a lot. They move their hands when they talk a lot. Like all these things, realize, burn energy, and it adds up. And, and research shows that it can actually add up to quite a bit. Like one study, like if you look at the, the lowest uh, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, uh, that's what it's called, NEAT, N-E-A-T, Lowest to highest was like a 2,000 calorie a day difference. 2,000 calories, that's crazy. I think the average was like maybe around 350 calories would, would be a more like when you're talking, when you start looking at the middle of the distribution of people where you go, okay, so you have people a little bit on the low end, a little bit the high end, you could be a three, 400 calorie a day difference. But three to 400 calories a day difference, that's huge. And a lot of people don't realize that, that uh, all the extra activity that is, that that occurs outside of the gym burns energy. So, um, you know, that, that's why you'll see little weight loss tips to like take the stairs instead of the elevator and, uh, you know, walk, walk the extra block or two instead of getting in the car and stuff like that. Cause it actually adds up even, you know, if you're like, if you're cleaning the house, then dance while you're cleaning the house. Like it sounds stupid, but it increases energy burning. So in that way it helps. So those are all the major points that I wanted to cover uh, in the podcast. Those are usually, uh, you know, by the time someone runs through all that, someone comes to me, I'm not losing weight, what's going on? And they run through all that. That's really the, rarely do, do I, you know, do we have to even go any further than all these things that I've covered. The last thing that's worth mentioning would be there is a point where if you've been in a calorie deficit for a long time, your body, uh, and this kind of brings you back to the beginning of the podcast, how it fights back, quote unquote, is it, it tries to reduce your energy, its energy expenditure. And the major way it does that is it reduces the non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So naturally you just will move less. You just will not want, you just are not going to do as much fidgeting. You're not going to want to take the stairs. Um, your body wants to conserve energy and that manifests in different ways. There also can be a bit of an adaptation that can occur with your basal metabolic rate. It's not nearly as extreme as some people will say. Um, if you go look at the, the, the research that came out of the Minnesota starvation experiment back in World War II, um, these are guys that were starved for, for months and months and months. Um, I think it was up to a year, actually, and uh, about 1,500 calories a day. They were burning about 3,000 calories a day. It was, they were, it was a simulated prison of a POW camp, basically, so they were doing physical labor all day. And um, in that whole period, I think the largest 
metabolic uh, down, like an adaptation down regulation that they saw was about 14, 15%. So somebody whose BMR, take me, my BMR 2,500, or sorry, 2,100, then, you know, it, 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 it maybe drops by 300 calories or so, which is significant, but it's not, you know, that's, that's like straight starvation status working on, uh, I, you know, they, they, they were, it was research done to see like with these prisoners of war, they're going to be coming out of, out of the war. How do you wean them back on the food, you know, when they've been starved for a year? So these were, these were, that was real starvation. Eating, eating half your TDE for months and months and months, that's starvation. And even that didn't, you know, completely wreck people's metabolism. So, um, there is a bit of adaptation that can occur. Just know that, um, I, in terms of working with people, I'll see it also, I'll see it in my body um, where I have to start reducing my calories a little bit, um, which isn't necessarily because of, of, of my BMR changing, but I'm just burning less energy through exercise, which is um, also can happen as well with uh, your body, depending on what the exercise is. Like if it's low, endur- low intensity, kind of just endurance cardio, over time, you are going to burn less and less energy doing it because your body is going to be more efficient, which is one of the reasons why I recommend high intensity cardio, high intensity weightlifting. Um, it's one of the smaller reasons, but it is, it is a, a kind of a side benefit. Um, but you know, over the course of about, I'd say two to three months into dieting is when you can expect to see a bit of this adaptation, um, where you, you can be good on everything else that we just talked about. Um, and weight loss can slow down, slow down, slow down. And and you can expect it to slow down because as you get leaner, you're going to be dealing with more and more stubborn fat, which is just slower. It just takes longer to get rid of where in the beginning, you might be able to lose two pounds of fat a week if you're quite overweight. And then at the end of your diet, let's say you're a guy, you're now down to about 10% body fat, or you're a girl down to about 20% body fat. And you want to, you want to keep it going. You know, you can expect maybe a half a pound of fat a week. You can maybe get that up to a pound with some supplementation and doing every, everything right, but it slows down. Um, but you just know that there is going to be a bit of basic, uh, of metabolic adaptation. And the, the, the solution there is if basically if all the, everything we just talked about, if, if, if all that, none of that fixed the problem, the weight loss is still too slow. It's still just grinding. You're not feeling good. Then it's time to reverse your calorie intake. Now, the, one of the, one of the problems with one of the many problems with, with dieting is when you're in that state, so you've, you've kind of mildly starved your body for several months, you've gotten lean, it's, and I won't get into the details here because this video has already gone quite long, and, um, but basically you're in a, your body's in a state where it can rapidly store fat. So what you don't want to do is do what many people do, and that is just start slamming down calories uh, because you finally are like, the diet's finally over and you just start eating everything. You're going to gain fat very quickly. Instead, what you want to do is reverse diet, which is where you slowly increase your calories over the course of a month or so, um, and just to prevent that binge effect, basically. And I'll link an article down below on reverse dieting that, that goes all into it, and you can just go check that out. Or if you're listening to this, um, you're not on YouTube, then you know you just go to Muscle for Life and search for reverse diet, and you'll see it. Um, so that's everything. I hope you find this video helpful. Um, and you know, let me know what you think in the comments below. Subscribe and do all that good stuff, and I will see you next time.